Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Speaking of the gospel, speaking of the hope that we have to offer to others around us. Today our focus is on outreach. And I've chosen 1 Corinthians 9 because it shows Paul's passion for sharing the message with people who don't already know it and haven't yet experienced it. He says that his whole life is because of the message. He disciplines every part of his life to make sure that the message is known to others. What a great example for us. To what extent are you and I today in our personal lives as a church family, to what extent are we that focused on reaching out with the hope of Jesus? Would you stand with me as you're able? I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 9, and I'm jumping in at verse 19. We're free to do as we please, and how do we use that freedom? Though I'm free, Paul writes, and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews, which wasn't easy for him, I might add. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as not to offend. Look at Paul's teaching and how he handles tough situations. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, which required a lot of grace given Paul's background. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, which he's exercising to love one another. Why? So as to win those not having the law. You get it? To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things, to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some, and I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. A little further, look how extreme Paul is. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run with intentionality in in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I discipline myself and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. May God keep the prize in front of us today. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're continuing a series of messages identifying core values of Meridian Friends Church. And you're here, this is the one that you've been looking for, the last one. You made it. (laughs) 
Here we are in week seven. I know it's been hard for all of us. We made it through all seven as of today, the Lord willing. And we'll focus on this final piece, which is on outreach. I've mentioned to you before, in some ways, these really flow together. Everything starts with loving God. If we're not loving God, we might as well stop right there. But a love of God, and according to the command of Jesus, is really all about loving other people, right? Paul references that here. I'm only under the command of Jesus, and he summarized it all by saying, love one another. By God's grace, we're people who are still changing. As we think about outreach today, isn't that good to know? We're still in process. That's a core value of our church. We all need to be growing. It's not as if we're offering something to somebody else that we're not doing ourselves. We're not looking at a world around us saying, man, you guys really need to change. It's true (laughs) because we do too. By God's grace, we're in a process not just of being saved and having crossed that line of saying yes to Jesus, but he's changing us today. He's shaping our souls and our lives to look more like Jesus. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is present in every part of our lives. He's here. So what we do inside of these four walls at a given time of the week is not more important or sacred than what we do the rest of the week. It all matters. Jesus Christ is present with us. You know, if we don't understand Jesus' presence, we'll get the Scripture wrong. The living word must help us with the written word. And we're bound by what Scripture teaches us as truth. We can't walk away from that. That's our parameter. That that helps us, as these core values do, with bumpers. Whatever else we plan or want to do or move forward with as a church, it must be under the guidance of what God says is true and not true. God's made us into a community of brothers and sisters. We are not called to carry and shoulder our load by ourselves. We need each other. People sometimes say, you know, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. And it's like saying, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. It's offensive. (laughs) Jesus so loves the church. He calls us his bride. And we need one another. That's how God wired us. I I guess you could do Christianity without others, but you don't have to. This morning we come to outreach because all those other ingredients give us some hope to give away. And I'm convinced that the closer we get to the heartbeat of God, the more we will weep over those who don't yet know him the more we will care. Jesus cares so much about people who do not yet know him that he exited his throne in heaven to become human and to live the life of a servant and to be nailed to a cross. He's that serious about outreach, if you think about it. How passionate are we You know, I think if we miss any one of these seven, we're in a world of hurt as a church. 
reaching out and reaching beyond. In this passage, I want to share with you, oh, here's the, you have this in your printed outlines as well. This is the fuller explanation of the word outreach as a core value. We seek to know God so that we can make him known and bring the hope of Jesus to our neighbors. Very simple, to bring the hope of Jesus to our neighbors. Isn't that our hope? Isn't that what we're shooting for? Is this what God wants for us as a church, as individuals? I believe it's true. Certainly true in Paul's example. He's given everything for the sake of the gospel. And do you notice his tone of voice in his writing? He doesn't regret it one bit. I love the passion in Paul's writing for reaching out to those who don't yet know him. It's our job as a church, is it not? It's the Great Commission. I, po- I, I want to offer to you in what we just read from 1 Corinthians 9, three requirements of outreach. I want to frame my thoughts about this passage around that word requirement. What would it look like for a church to get serious about outreach? What, what are we going to have to pay in order for this to be a reality in our church. So I want to think of it in terms of requirements because this is what I see in Paul's life and in his writing here. The first requirement is very simple. Outreach requires faith. You think, oh, phew, this is going to be easy. (laughs) I thought you were going to say blood, sweat, and tears or something terrible. (laughs) It requires faith. But actually, I think perhaps this is the most important requirement for us as a church. I really think that if there's one thing that we get hung up on, one reason for which we do not share our faith, it's pessimism. I want you to really stop and think about that. We are so pessimistic about outreach. We've convinced ourselves that nobody wants to hear it. Am I right? Here's an interesting statistic from Dr. Tim Roll. He says, 80% of people in our culture are unchurched. 80% of churches are not reaching out. They're plateaued or in decline, 80%. 80% of the unchurched are open to our invitation. Just stop with that for one minute. Do you believe that? They are open to our invitation. And 80% of Christians never invite anyone. Those are really interesting statistics, aren't they? That's our 80, 80, 80, 80 rule. That has a lot to say to us as a church, doesn't it? Paul says, I have done everything with my life. And notice his optimism in that last slide, his optimism. He says, I've done all of this so that I might save some. Paul genuinely believes that some people will come to faith by his efforts. Do you? He also says it's to win as many as possible. And he uses that word win uh, several times. He says, I live my life for a purpose for something that will last and something that will matter, a crown. 
how optimistic are you about the gospel itself? The gospel really is good news and is the power of salvation by which we may be saved. I want you to know that as you share the gospel with someone else, as you tell them about Jesus' love for them, it's not about you and how powerful you are or influential you are. We're not called to be salesmen or attorneys arguing points. We're simply called to be witnesses. We're called to share what Jesus has done in our lives and to share the good news. We've experienced something that people need to experience. But how optimistic are we that the gospel really can change someone in your life who maybe really does need changed? Are you optimistic about it? I was challenged by something several years ago in praying for a family member of mine. And the speaker said something like this, if you really believe, and fill in the name, that this person can come to faith or even will come to faith, picture them as a Christian. And I started picturing this family member as not only a Christian, but as a minister, someone who is actively sharing outreach of their own. In their case, they'd be able to identify with people who had been incarcerated, people who had been struggling with addictions, people who had been struggling with sexual issues all of their life. And I began to consider that a person with that resume is able uniquely to share the gospel with people who are walking through the same stuff. And it was a powerful exercise for me. Can you picture the person in your life who needs to know Jesus and who needs to be changed? Do, do we really believe that the gospel is that powerful? That Jesus wants relationship with them that much? I'm telling you, that's a lot of faith, isn't it? It takes a lot of faith. I brought with me today a crooked stick. And you're thinking to yourself, Teresa's not here today. I noticed that. Uh, she is at a women's conference, Women of Joy in Texas. It's been a wonderful thing for her. And so you're thinking, well, you know, this maybe needed a female touch for the decorations today. But this is what I could find. It's a very crooked stick. And I brought it because of something that Martin Luther is famous for saying. Martin Luther, a great hero of faith in so many ways. He said that God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. I want you to think about that. You can take a crooked stick and you can draw a straight line. Do you know where I'm going with this? God can use you and me. I think the biggest source of pessimism that we carry one of them is we don't think anybody wants to hear. Another one is that we forget how powerful the gospel really is. But another pessimism that I think we have is that we look at ourselves too much and say, you know, God could never use me. In, in all the mistakes that I've made, in, in the problems that I carry, the, the questions that I have that are not answered, my life isn't perfected. It's not milled. It's probably not usable. Now, 
we, we wouldn't want to use this probably to build a home with. It, it needs a little attention uh, for something like that. But in God's hands, you and I can draw effective lines. This world needs crooked sticks who have faith in God. You know, the Holy Spirit is the primary evangelist for our church, for you and me. The Holy Spirit knew that he was placing Meridian friends on this block when he did. The Holy Spirit knew that you and I would be part of this collective family for such a time as this. And sometimes we get so busy just looking at the crooked stick, thinking, you know, we really need to fix a few things before we get busy with outreach. You ever heard that? Well, I'm not saying it's not wrong. It's just the word before that I take an objection with. It's not either or. It's not either we fix whatever may be wrong in our church family or in our personal lives, or we reach out and we'll put our energy into one of those. Do you know that by reaching out, you often solve the problem? Max Lucado has a little story. It's called, When Fishermen Don't Fish, They Fight. And he talks about a fishing trip he went on with a kid, and they invited a neighbor, and his dad was along, and they were in this tiny camper, and they were so excited to go fishing. And then it rained all weekend long. And they were stuck in the camper instead of being out fishing. And before long, they started to notice, you know, my friend has some annoying habits. And, and you know, after a couple days, his socks stink. And on and on it went, and they had a miserable time. Why? Because when fishermen don't fish, they fight. If we're under the myth that we need to wait to do outreach to address issues within the church, we're in trouble. Because outreach is a matter of obedience. And part of our health as a church is dependent upon whether we're willing to share the gospel outside of these walls. Whether we really care about those who are perishing without Jesus today. It's not either or. It's part of our health. And it is true, when fishermen don't fish, they fight. <laughs> Outreach requires a faith. A faith that this is the right thing to do. That God's in control. That, that he, he is the one who is already speaking to those hearts. Second requirement that I see in this passage. Somewhere. Second requirement. Outreach requires intentionality. Therefore, I run like someone, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. Paul goes on and he talks about his focus of life. He's doing everything he can with people that are difficult for him to adjust to, whether they're weak or strong or from this background or the other background. He's adjusting. He calls it this. He says he's a doulos. He's a slave to others. Incredible humility and intentionality. As a church, if we're not intentional about outreach, it won't happen. It's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? 
Don't we all fear rejection? It, it's hard for us to do. Another Max Lucado quote. I wasn't going to tell you the fisherman story, but it just happened. But here's a Max Lucado quote. Nothing results from apathy. God honors radical risk-taking faith. When arcs are built, lives are saved. When soldiers march, Jericho's tumble. When staffs are raised, seas still open. When lunch is shared, thousands are fed. Don't you love that? We've got to do something with this great faith that we have in the gospel. And it's going to require intentionality and planning and willingness and even training. Do you notice Paul's emphasis on training? I train myself to run the race. We don't just, okay, I'm going to show up and I'm going to compete for the crown. It really doesn't work that way. I love it when uh, six foot eight athletes say, you can do anything that you want to do. <laughs> you can become anything that you want to be. I'll never play basketball with you, no matter how hard I try, or anything else. <laughs> I came across something this morning, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you want to turn there, I think this is really interesting. 2 Kings chapter 4, and some of you are on the same reading plan that I am. If you're interested in being in an online reading program with me, let me know. Because I think we're about to start over here next year. We're almost done with this year. Can you believe it? Here we are. But 2 Kings 4 describes a faith in action. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he uh, revered the Lord. But now... His creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Aren't you glad society's changed in this many years? But that was her reality. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said. Isn't this how we approach evangelism? I, I've got nothing. <laughs> I'm just unable. Except a small jar of olive oil. Do you remember this story? Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door. Can you picture this miracle of this multiplying of oil? Are you with it? You hear what, you hear what he said, told her to do? She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, <laughs> she said to her son, bring you another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left, and the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Here's someone who has every reason to give up. And to think that this isn't going to be worthwhile. In her discouragement, the prophet doesn't just solve her problem for her. He gives her something to do. There are times we feel like we just need to throw our hands up in the air at the world. And say, it's a big mess. I hope Jesus comes back today. And he might. But if he tarries, 
you and I have a lot of work to do to date to bring others to a saving awareness of Jesus. We could look around and say, you know, the jar's empty. There is nothing to do. You can imagine this widow's discouragement of, wouldn't, wouldn't she just look at Elisha and say, what are you thinking? What do you mean? Go get a bunch of empty jars. What do you mean? Pour those in. To me, it's an incredible act of faith. It's an act of willingness to do something. So I was thinking, when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to outreach as a church, what would that look like for us? I made a list of four simple things of what you and I can do with regard to gathering empty uh, oil jars and filling them up. One, ask God to give you a passion for people. That Max Lucado quote was, nothing happens with apathy, right? If, if your heart is genuinely insensitive to the lost, ask God to change it. I bet he will. I sincerely believe that if there's anything that God weeps over today, it's sons and daughters of his who are lost. Am I wrong? Pray that God would give you a heart to share. Because it comes from an inside-out thing, right? Be yourself. I think this isn't said enough with regard to sharing our faith with others. Be yourself. People who know you, who respect you, don't expect you to be somebody different. They already know you. They respect you. Simply being yourself. Often, good outreach starts with just listening from the heart. Caring about somebody's burden, loving them, serving them. Write out your testimony. If this isn't something you've done in the last five years, do it again. You know, we don't have just one testimony. We have dozens of testimonies. So many ways in which God has worked in our lives. And I'm telling you, we have something to share. And I'm not saying that, that you show up and start forcing it down their throat. <laughs> I am saying that if you're aware of it, you're ready to share it. And there's something about the discipline of typing into a keyboard or writing on a page that distills our thoughts. It helps us to be more aware of how God is working in our lives. Some of you journal regularly. This is a great help. It's writing out testimony. It's saying, here's how I've seen Jesus faithful today. And it gives you something that you are then ready to share at a moment's notice if the opportunity is there. But if we are dully not paying attention to what God is doing in our lives, we don't have anything to share. We're not ready. Collect some jars. Start pouring some oil, even though we have this pessimism about the whole process. And then do it today. I mean, why wait? What if? Jesus returns today. What if Jesus returns tomorrow? I know someone who started every day with that two-word prayer, perhaps today. There's urgency with this. No procrastinating. Outreach for us as a church is going to require a great faith. It's going to require some intentionality on our part. And of course, it's also going to require our servanthood. 
Paul's word slave really catches me. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I mentioned earlier that one reason we don't like to speak about Jesus to others is that we fear rejection. And I, I know that we do. That's why I say be yourself. That's pretty important. But we fear rejection. Now, the thing about Paul, he found it, didn't he? The one who wrote 1 Corinthians is the one who knows actually what it's like to be in prison for his faith. Well, there's a consequence. Paul ended up being martyred for his faith. But he did it because he was following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus did not fear rejection. His love for us was too strong. And he calls us to be the same way with others. You know, I was sitting with a friend uh, this summer, and we just heard an amazing speaker talk about reaching out to other people. And he's the director of a large organization, and I'm a pastor, which involves certain organizational parts of it. And by personality, I'm comfortable with organization. It's comfortable for me. Not everybody, some people hate details in organization, but I love it. As a little kid, I collected baseball cards. They were all in order. <laughs> I still have those cards. Some of you helped move that collection. It's substantial, and it's organized. <laughs> Some people love organization, and he's another one. We're just kind of birds of a feather. He's a good friend of mine. But as we were talking, and we heard this speaker, a pastor, and an author talk about outreach together, in tears, he looked at me and said, you know, it's easier for me to start a program than it is for me to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. And I could so go there. It's so true for us as a church. It, it's easier to start a new committee. <laughs> I'm not saying you necessarily love committees. But it's easier for us to do something like that, as costly as that is. It's easier for us to strategize and organize than perhaps it is today to share with someone who needs to hear you share about Jesus. It's going to require servanthood, a willingness to lay aside my comfort, a willingness to lay aside my barriers because I love that person that much. I want to invite us to spend a few minutes in open worship reflection, listening to what the Spirit might say to us personally or individually. And I came across this little story. I'll read it and then let us have some time to let Jesus speak to us solo. One day a man was walking down the street and he fell into a hole. He cried out for help to everyone that passed by. First to stop was a rich man. He threw some money down the hole, called down to the man, buy yourself a ladder, and moved on. Well, that didn't get the man out, and he continued to cry for help. Soon after the rich man passed by, a priest came along and stopped. He prayed a prayer for the man in the hole. 
called down, see you in church. And he went along his way. Well, that didn't get the man out either. So he continued to cry out for help. Well, eventually, his friend came along, heard his cry, and saw him in the hole. And he jumped down in there with him. Stunned, the man turned to his friend. He said, what'd you do that for? Now we're both stuck down here. His friend replied, because I've been here before, I know the way out. 